keep this intro short because what I have today is an interview with my friend Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters and also of Inside the Musician's Brain and Osiris podcast that relaunched this week. His first interview of the season is with MC Taylor of His Golden Messenger, one of my absolute favorite artists and a really great listen. He has a bunch of stuff on tap, which we're going to talk about. So I'm going to get straight into it. You're going to hear an interview with me and Chris in just a second. I also want to tell you that Megan from HF Pod was on No Simple Road and uh, Megan Gliona. See how I did that? I think that's the way you pronounce it. I can't believe I've gotten it wrong that many times. Anyway, Megan was on No Simple Road and a really good conversation. Love the No Simple Road crew, of course, and glad that they had Megan on. Speaking of Megan, HF Pod continues on. Today, Friday, April 21st, 4 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be doing a live episode of HF Pod, recapping the first five shows of this incredible fish spring tour. And uh, we have a special guest who's going to come on, Cam, who's been doing some amazing TikTok videos and re- some really hilarious stuff. Um, he, he's been at the shows, and he's going to help us recap. So tune into that, and uh, the episode will be up right after that, so you can find a new episode of HF Pod wherever you get your podcasts later this afternoon. And uh, I'm going to get right into this interview with Chris Pandolfi. Thanks so much. See you all next week. All right, I'm here with Chris Pandolfi. Hey, Chris. What's up, RJ? How you doing, man? Good, good, good to uh, see you and hear you. We talk on the phone, but we we rarely get to see each other. Even Likewise, my man. Yes, <laughs> you too. Um, so we, we're here to talk about a couple of things. As most listeners probably know, the infamous string dusters who are now regulars at the Grammys, they have a standing, sta- basically standing invite to the Grammys. <laughs> um, I don't know about that. Yeah, man, you, you got to, every time you get nominated, you got to treat it like it might be the last time. The last but time. We, we sure have been have been lucky in that area and uh it's always fun we've been nominated four times and we've been able to go all four times which is which is a win in my book that's awesome i love seeing the photos from the red carpet that's like it's a lot of fun <laughs> um but you guys have a, an album coming out today april 21st tribute to flat and scruggs on americana vibes and the last time you did an album like this was you know paying tribute to an artist you admire it was for bill monroe and you were nominated for one of those grammys for that I just had, I was wondering as I was listening to some of these songs, you you have such a wide range of influences, all of you do, but you know, across all members. Why why flatten scrugs and why now? Like what why did that come together at this at this point in time? Yeah, it's a great question because I don't think early in our career we would have necessarily taken these projects on. And that's mainly because so much has changed around bluegrass music in the last 16 years that we've been a band, you know, when we were getting rolling, it really was not a buzzword in terms of marketing and publicity. It was, it was an old school genre that never really gained a lot of popularity. Of course, we who play bluegrass and love bluegrass have always thought that it was one of the coolest styles of music ever, but just didn't get a lot of, cred in terms of younger fans and a more marketable style and so early on we kind of pushed back on the term bluegrass even though if you ask me we've been a bluegrass band all along but 
that has really changed in the past, you know, say 10 years and bluegrass is cooler than ever right now, which is great news for all of us. And I think has opened the door for us to take on these tribute projects because there's so much incredible music that paved the way for what we do. And, you know, of course I always reference like yonder and salmon and string cheese in terms of bringing the music into the modern day and the way that it's presented with production and the kinds of venues, but Platt and Scruggs, Bill Monroe, that's where the music started. I mean, these guys are the ultimate innovators. They created a style of music at, kind of out of thin air. I mean, they, of course, there are some very tangible roots to this music, but boom, all of a sudden they had something very new on their hands and it's had a long winding journey, but it's really, really popular right now. And so it's an honor to take these projects on and pay our dues and hopefully turn a lot more listeners on to some of these incredible acts and and turn them on to where this music came from. Thanks for that. And and for people who don't know, um, Earl Scruggs and Lester Flatt were in Bill Monroe's band, right? And then they formed their duo in, I guess they were active from like the 1948 to 1969. So this sort of comes after Bill Monroe or, or at least, I mean, concurrent, but did you look at this as like a chronologically, like who's the next in line or did it just kind of happen that, that they were, you know, as, as influential as, as Bill Monroe? I think it's a little of both. You, Bill Monroe was an obvious first choice because he is widely recognized as the father of bluegrass, but the advent of bluegrass was really in 1946 when Earl Scruggs's banjo style, three finger banjo style, Lester Flats singing and his G runs on the guitar, his rhythm style combined with Monroe's vision of this synthesis of old country music and the blues and these Scottish Appalachian fiddle traditions. He sort of brought all this music together, but it really wasn't until he joined forces with Flat and Scruggs that the sound of bluegrass, the sound that we always reference was really born. And Earl specifically is such an incredible, unique musician because there's really no one else that I can think of who has no precedent for what they do. I mean, there were a few players out there playing with maybe one or two finger picks, but what he did was all his own. And that in of itself is, is impressive. But what's even more impressive is that while a lot of the other instrumental styles have been refined significantly over the years, I'm thinking of like guys like Chris Thiele and how technical the mandolin has become. Bluegrass banjo players still just want to play it note for note like Earl Scruggs. So that vision, that incredibly profound vision that Earl had combined with the vision that Monroe had, that was the birth of bluegrass. So I would say these are the two most influential bands in terms of getting this music rolling and that initial iteration of bluegrass that so many people look up to. So it's a combination. I mean, there's of course a chronological element, but I think that they occupy similar territory in terms of how influential that they are. That's awesome. Thanks for that context. And I, I hope, I hope everyone gets to listen to this, this album. Um, we do get some Pandolfi singing. 
Yes, we do. Which is which is great. And I, I wanted to know how did you approach which songs and the arrangements and how how does that process work for you guys? It's really pretty simple. We just chose songs that we dug and away we went. You know, we we're all big bluegrass fans and not as knowledgeable as some people out there, but of course we've put in our time and listened to a lot of Flatten Scruggs. And these are just some of our favorite songs. Some of them are a little bit more popular. Some of them are more B-sides. It kind of depends in what circles you roll in. It's it's interesting as you make your way around the U.S., for example, you know, in, in different areas, different songs are really popular to play. So it's hard to necessarily say which ones really are the hits. You know, of course, there's Foggy Mountain Breakdown and a few others that have really gotten a lot of notoriety over the years. But it's a mix here, and it's basically each person in the band is taking on a lead vocal. So we all brought a song. And then of course we did the instrumental Earl's breakdown. Instrumental music is also a big part of the bluegrass tradition, but we picked those songs and then it's, it was partly us trying to, of course, do justice and keep a lot of those fundamental bluegrass elements intact, the rhythm, the singing style, but then also put our stamp on it to some degree because, you know, they've already done it as good as it can be done in a certain way. And now we're sort of taking it and running it through that string dusters filter. And the arranging process is really pretty simple. I mean, this music is structurally simple, I would say emotionally and, and in sort of a soul context, it is as deep as any music, but you know, these songs are short, they're tight. The arrangements fly by it's one solo to the next and onto the next verse chorus. And and it's pretty formulaic that way. But but that was how it happened. We chose songs that we dug and then we got together and we figured out who played where. And it was pretty simple, honestly, compared to like the kind of work we do for a string dusters record, which can be a lot more involved. That's really cool to hear. And thanks for shedding some light on that. And, and congrats on getting this out there. Um, and I, I want to talk to you about a couple other things. First, you and I keep in touch, but I still can't. Sometimes I, I get the email notifications when you guys go live um, and like it just happened. It's happened so much this year and I didn't even know you're playing shows, you know, and like I feel like over the past year and a half or so, it's really expanded back to like where you are, you know, you're you're back on the road, but you're like, how, how does it feel? And are, are, do you feel like you're it looks to me like you're booked, like basically all year and we're booked. We're <laughs> is booked, it man. is it? Does it feel like you're back? I mean, what does it feel like now? And how is it to be out there again, like playing so many shows? Yeah, it's been such a slow, gradual process coming back from the weirdness of 2020. And I think because of how we operate as human beings, we look for things to have a beginning and an end. But this whole thing really, it hasn't really had an end, even though you could argue in some capacity that it's over in terms of how it's affected our lives so deeply, but it's also not over. So this slow burn, it's been a weird situation of kind of feeling it out as, as we go. But if I'm looking at things right now, I would say the live music industry is, is back and in full force. And we made it through these winter months without any COVID spike. And that was very encouraging. And now we're heading into festival season and all along, I think one thing that's been proven over and over is from a business perspective, 
given all the challenges out there, everything from COVID to traveling to the economy, you know, the live music business might not be one if you were a betting person that you would bet on. But the thing that we have going for us, and again, the thing that's been proven over and over is that live music, music in general is never going out of style. It's something that people need very, very deeply. It's something that I think a lot of us feel like we'll never take for granted again as listeners, listeners, as players, as performers, there's something very profound that we can't do without. So while some weird innovations and changes around the pandemic will stay around, <clears throat> live music is not going anywhere and it's never going out of style. And I think that we've really felt a lot of support from the fans. And now that support is extending into attendance at live shows and and interest in recording so things are moving right now i can't complain you know we have a busy year ahead and everyone in the band is is doing great and it's full steam ahead that, that's awesome <laughs> um, i've been thinking a lot about the listening to a lot of news about like chat gpt and ai and i was thinking about this yesterday like the live music experience because there's a lot of talk about like can ai software like write songs you know can it like and then you think about the live music experience of coming together to see music and that's like it me i think it's immune from anything except you know it's a very <laughs> interesting question and it's actually one of my intro topics for my podcast inside the musicians Brain. great segue yeah <laughs> and that's gonna happen sometime mid-season but you know i wrote a song or not i I I had Chat GPT assist me in writing a song. I was producing a record for a really cool band from the Northwest called Never Come Down. Nice. We were late late night after a session one night, and everyone was talking about Chat GPT. This was you know a couple months ago, so you know we started plugging in. Oh, write a bluegrass song about this or that. We had we had the the funniest one was write a bluegrass song about Ralph Stanley and Jamie Lee Curtis having pancakes for breakfast in a diner in New York City, and it. It was uh, it was better than sort of the formulaic, simple stuff you get when you just ask it to write a bluegrass song. But I think the point was proven that while AI and these early iterations of AI have a lot of potential, a lot of cool things that they can do, again, there's just no substitute for what we can produce in our souls deep inside of us there's something there's there's something to consciousness there's something very alive there's something very interconnected between all of us as human beings and you know this goes off into a whole other deep area of subject matter but i believe that very strongly and we have things to say we have experiences that we've been through and we have not only perfections but also imperfections and all of these things add up to a type of statement that i don't think ai will ever be able to replicate so so yeah but it's it's interesting i mean the there's there's like rights holders issues that are coming up where people have samples in their music that were created by ai that was asked to imitate this or that artist and they have no way of telling who has ownership over that material. So there are a lot of weird things coming our way, but thankfully we're a band that consists of five people who stand up there and play instruments and sing 
And there's really still only one way to do that. And I believe pretty firmly that there will remain that one emotive way of doing that. And that's when it's in the hands of someone who's passionate and cares about what they're doing. But yeah, I, I was doing some research on it for my pod and woo, it's getting, it's getting deep. It's getting yeah, crazy. It is. Um, so I want to talk to you about the podcast and everyone um, should check out the string dusters on the road at, uh, you can check out the dates at the string com. So this is season, season four of inside the musician's brain. Um, yes. What tell us about like what you've learned throughout the process and and how you're approaching season four differently or if at all or or if you yeah. just wanted to continue what you did before like how are you looking at this season? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't feel like I've really run the course with the format that I'm doing. That is to say, I'm still so enthralled by getting together with these musicians some of whom I know better than others, but who are all so incredibly talented in, in different ways and asking them questions and bouncing ideas off of each other and getting this understanding of how and why music comes to life. It really hasn't gotten old at all. In fact, I would say it's getting more interesting as things go along and as I feel like I'm becoming a better interviewer and I, I love it so much. And, you know, I, I really have you in part to thank RJ for pushing me down this road. I mean, these listeners don't necessarily know, but we go way back. And even before Osiris was forming, before my podcast came around, you know, we would have these long phone conversations about what this all could be. And that was a great jumping off point for me because it helped me kind of realize that, hey, you know, we've really paid our dues and found our way to a great spot in the music world that's given me access to all these incredible guests that I've had on my show. And what could be cooler than spending an hour with Bela Fleck or Oteil Burbridge or Sierra Hall or Sarah Jarose and just picking their brains about things? I mean, you learn so, so much, but you also learn something about connecting with other humans and listening. And then this bleeds into the realm of just general empathy and the desire to understand someone else. And that's been this beautiful silver lining of being a podcast host is it's just helped me see how you can open doors with other people by really asking them questions, listening deeply, going places that they haven't gone before and potentially helping them understand themselves better too. So I'm just still really excited about interviewing people, and I've already had a few for this season. They've all been great, but one that stands out so far is my interview with Chris Wood from the Wood Brothers and Medeski Martin and Wood, nice. I'm a huge fan of. And wow, you know, we got into this incredible talk about some topics that are often covered in the pod, you know, being present in music and how the whole thing unfolds and comes to life. But he had some incredibly valuable advice on actually how to get there that that I know that I've already been able to employ. So sharing these things with the world is a gift. I mean, it's it's the coolest thing ever. Not only do I get to learn myself, but I get to share this with people and then I get to explore some really fun things in the intros. So, you know, it's really just the latest and greatest. I've got awesome guests lined up and um, you know, I'm getting a little better and more efficient so that it doesn't 
take me hours upon hours <laughs> to create these things. So that's good. I can sort of weave it into all these other things that I'm doing. And it's really become an awesome, fulfilling part of my career. One thing I am doing this season is I'm I'm finally getting videos up of these interviews nice. and I'm going to get my YouTube channel rolling. So keep an eye out for that. But yeah, season four is we'll, we'll be on the airwaves by the time that this drop is out and yeah. I'm super excited about it. Yeah. You have uh MC Taylor as the first, I think from his golden messenger, right. And I you do. mentioned Chris Wood and a few others you already have recorded as well. Yeah. I sat down with Rachel price from Lake Street Dive, and I've got a few others teed up. I was emailing this morning with um, Chris Funk from the Decemberists, who oh, nice. I'm going to get get together with. And and it's interesting now because I've covered so many of the, you know, call it the the low hanging fruit from people in and around our scene that now I'm having to branch out, which is exciting and awesome and different and new things to learn and new perspectives and new conversations are unfolding. So yeah, I'm in the thick of it right now. As soon as we get off this, I'm going to buff out a few episodes and, and get things ready to go and get the season rolling. That is, I'm, I'm so glad you're doing it. And thanks for the compliments. And, you know, we're so excited to have the show back. And I, I, I was just, when you mentioned Rachel Price of Lake Street Dive, the first time I ever heard of them is when they opened for you guys at, <laughs> the State Theater in Falls Church in yeah. I don't even know 2011 2012 something like that. Yeah, that was that was the beginning of, you know, sort of when they really they really kind of shot up to some some major league fame, but I talk about it in the intro Lake Street Dive, they're the, they're the band that always comes up when people are like, "Oh, they're such an overnight success." But <laughs> they're not an overnight success and honestly, <laughs> very rarely is an artist who suddenly has this high profile. Very rarely are they any kind of overnight success. And, and in a lot of cases, and in the case of Lake Street Dive, this band had been around for years, 10 plus years before people really started to take note. And there are a lot of great affirming lessons in that realization about the importance of commitment and the importance of patience along the way and finding that belief in what you do. You know, these are these are things that can get a little thin when you're so close to your art, your perspective is a little skewed because you're doing it all the time and you're so in deep with this thing that it's hard sometimes to remember the kind of commitment and patience it takes to get great at something. But they're an awesome example of that. And Rachel is just, man, she's, she's so cool and she is such a talented singer. And that, that was also a very enlightening, very cool interview. Well, congrats on the album. All the tour dates, relaunching the podcast and anything else that I forgot. I know you're busy. Thanks for taking time to, to chat about this. And you can find Inside the Musicians, Musicians Brain anywhere you get podcasts, of course, but I'll put a link in the show notes. Hopefully everyone's already listening. But um, Chris, thanks for taking the time, man. This is awesome. Thanks. Thanks. You're the man, RJ. Great to see you, brother. See you soon. Yes.